If you brought a Bible with you today, please open it up to the book of Romans. We are in chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Romans chapter 1. I also want to say hello to everybody in the video venues and those watching online. As we continue this morning studying the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and just as a little bit of a reminder, Paul is more than likely, this, as this is being written, he's on his third missionary journey. He's in Corinth dictating this letter that is then going to be delivered by a woman named Phoebe to the churches in Rome. Multiple churches, no doubt, as the Christian faith has spread throughout the Roman Empire, but this specifically being written to the church in the city of Rome. And we looked at last week, we, we mentioned the fact that Paul writing this letter to this church, interesting, it's the, the only letter he writes to a church that he himself has not planted. He's never visited Rome, he's never been there, it's been something as we're going to see, some, it's a desire of his, but he's never been to Rome. He's never met the vast majority of the people that are going to read and or hear the content of his letter. He, they're strangers to him physically, though obviously connected by their mutual faith. And we looked at verses 1 through 7 last week kind of as an introduction, Paul introducing himself to them, speaking of, of, their, of their faith. In fact, again, just to underscore the fact, he's writing to Christians. Last week we noticed this in verse 7. To those the beloved of God in Rome called saints, holy ones, those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, born-again believers, speaking to them, he continues in verse 8, first... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, I want to draw our attention first before we get too far even drawing down any further than this. Just the first few words of what Paul says. Notice he says first. This is, I want to get this out right away. I thank my God through the Lord Jesus for you. I thank my God. When we look through Paul's letters and we see even in through the book of Acts studying his story in the book of Acts, one thing that you cannot deny about Paul, no matter what he faces, no matter what he goes through, his life was filled with thanksgiving. He was thankful. And guys, when we think about it, quite honestly, we have so much to be thankful for. But guys, it, can, it should never start in our list of thanksgiving, sort of where Paul starts even in this. Notice, first of all, he says, I thank my God. My God. Not just I thank God, wherever you might be out there, if you happen to be listening. No, my God. And he doesn't say my God because this God that he's praying to is some, something of his own creation that he's designed to fit all of his nice little boxes. No, it's not a God of his own creation. When he says my God, he is acknowledging the creator of the universe, the true and living God. And when he is able to say, my God, guys, this is where, and Martin Luther put it this way, that the, being a Christian that is the relationship or the religion, if you would, of the personal possessive pronoun. <laughs> no other religion dares to say, my God, that I would have this personal intimate relationship with, the, with my creator. Yet we can. 
We can. Guys, that always, always the top of our, our list of thanksgiving, that we can go to the, our creator and call him my God. Not just even our God or the God, but my God. But then you can't, take, you can't stop there because, again, how is that even possible? Because we all understand that we are all sinful, that we don't deserve an audience with the, the creator of the universe, that we don't, there's nothing in us that deserves or warrants that type of relationship. And he goes on, through Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus. That's the only way. That is the only way that this is possible. And again, when we think of all that that took, all that that entailed, that Jesus, the son of God, God himself stepping off of his throne, coming down, living a perfect sinless life, becoming one of us, exposing himself to everything that we go through and then exchanging his perfect life for ours on the cross to pay our sin debt. Again, how do we not get lost in thanksgiving for that? You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Paul totally embraces that truth. And when we go to my God, we have to say, it's because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And guys, that, that cycle of thanksgiving, can I, just, can I just say it is really good? And I've gotten lost in that a couple of times this week. And I thank the Lord. I thank my God for this verse, this little piece of this verse for that. Because I've gotten lost in that little cycle. Thank my God. Oh, the fact that I can even talk to you right now. The fact that, that you're, you're listening to me. My God, through Jesus. And then, oh, all that that entailed. And then I could thank, thank, thank my God. And I get kind of into that cycle. Now, I haven't, I haven't looked closely at a bottle of shampoo for a long time for obvious reasons. But <laughs> I do remember there used to be instructions on shampoo. Maybe they've gotten away from that. But it used to say, wash, rinse, repeat. And if you follow those instructions closely, you're in a never-ending cycle, right? <laughs> wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. It's okay to get lost in this spin cycle, if you would. I thank my God through the Lord Jesus. I thank my God through the Lord Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Notice he says, I thank my God through the Lord Jesus for you all. For all of you, not just some of you, not just the ones who treat me really nice, not just the ones who write letters back to me in return, not just, no. I thank my God through the Lord Jesus for you all. Now, our, an initial reaction might be, well, of course he's thanking them for them all. He hasn't met them. I mean, wait till he meets them. And when he meets all of them, then he'll probably say, well, I'm thankful for most of you. <laughs> or some of you. But that's not the case with Paul because when he, wrote the, he writes the letter to the Thessalonians, the church that he planted and that he revisited a couple of times, he says the same thing. I thank God for you all. But he raises the bar even more when he writes to the church in Philippi. He says, I thank God for every remembrance of you. I don't know how about you, but anybody honestly can say right now, I thank God for everyone and every thought and every remembrance I have for everyone. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a pretty tall order. And I don't believe Paul was being dishonest at all. 
I thank God for every one of you. I thank God in every remembrance of every one of you. How in the world could Paul have that attitude in that heart? Wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) My God, through Jesus Christ. And when he gets to that through the Lord Jesus, he remembered all that it took, that all the sin that he'd been forgiven of, all the grace that had been extended to him. And because of that, and because he understood that almighty God, now that this relationship has been completely restored, he knows and he understands he's going to share with all of us when he gets to chapter eight of this letter, that God is working all things together for good. So he understands every bit of that. Because of grace, we know that my God, through the Lord Jesus, is working everything together for good. So understanding that, I can look at everything that is going on around me, every individual, every circumstance, everything that is happening, and I can say, I thank God for that. It's interesting. I read it this week. I came across this, and it's almost like one of those things where it's God God must have created this fruit simply for a sermon illustration. But there's a fruit, and it's called the taste fruit. That's one of the names for it, the taste fruit. And it's, it's seriously, look it up, Google it if you don't believe me. It's, it's, West Africa is where it's found. But when you eat this fruit, everything that you eat after it tastes sweet, including lemons, limes. You can eat this fruit and eat a lemon right afterwards, and the lemon will taste sweet. And it, it goes on to explain it, if you Google it and Wikipedia and whatever else and read through it, that there's the molecules that are in it attach themselves to your taste buds so that everything else that you then eat afterwards is sweet. Guys, that's what grace does when we focus on it to our heart. <laughs> it's the taste fruit of our heart. When we focus on and we absorb grace and we understand and we take that in, guys, that attaches itself to our art. And how can we not have a thankful heart after that? We look at the difficulties, the trials, the difficult people, all of that kind of stuff. And we say, thank you, Lord, because you're doing something through this. Things are taking place because of this that are glorifying you, strengthening me, making me more like Jesus. So I embrace it. And not only embrace it, I thank my God through the Lord Jesus for this. Not just, and he doesn't again just stop there, not just for you all. Notice too, because your faith is being proclaimed through the whole world. When I, when I think of you guys and, I, and I, I, I pray for you guys, we're gonna get into that in a moment. All of this, guys, I am so excited because the, your faith is being talked about throughout the entire Roman Empire. And not just the faith, not just the receiving the faith that results in salvation. That's not ideally what he's talking about or specifically what he's talking about here. He's talking about the changed lives, the integrity that that faith then produced. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that holiness being the birthmark of faith, the evidence of our faith. He's saying, it's not just that faith that you became a born again believer, but it's evidenced in your life. People are noticing, people are seeing around and it's spreading all throughout the entire Roman Empire. Now to give you an idea of what Rome was like at the time, the city where these people are living, 
the Roman historian Tacitus wrote this. He said, into Rome flow all things vile and abominable and where they are actually encouraged. Hmm. Sound familiar? (laughs) Saying the most disgusting, vile things that you could possibly imagine. It just comes into Rome all the time. And not only that, it's even encouraged all over the place. And it's from that setting that Paul said, you know what? Your faith is being talked about because you're different. The things that you used to be involved in, you no longer are. You're a new creation in Christ. And people see that and it's spreading. That word is going out. It's changing. It's having effect. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And when he uses Gentiles, again, we can exchange that into the world. Keep your behavior excellent among non-believers so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your behavior excellent. Not just every once in a while, guys, we need to always be on guard living out this this sanctified life in front of others so they they see it. It has to be observable. Our faith has to be observable. If, If people don't see the fruit, if people don't see a difference in us that changed life, it's it's it it can't have that effect. But when we do, they observe it. And there is changes that take place. Keep your finger here real quickly in Romans. Turn to the right a few chapters. First Thessalonians. If you're in Romans, you got first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then first Thessalonians. Keep going until you get there. Paul writing to the church here in Thessalonica after a similar type of introduction, you know, grace and peace, thanking God for you, that type of thing. Look at, uh, let's see, let's start in verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that, notice, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Similar type thing Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica. Everywhere I go, people are talking about your faith, how you've turned from your old way of life, idols, following after self-interest, all of you've turned from that and you've turned to the living God that you are looking for his return, that hope that is in you. People are seeing that. People are taking notice and how you're serving God, worshiping him with everything that is going on in your life. People are seeing it. And notice, not only is Paul t- mentioning that it's, that it's to the, the, the lost world around, but it's an example to other believers. You became an example to all the believers. 
Other Christians are seeing how it's impacting your life and the life that you're living, and it's encouraging them to follow in your footsteps, to follow after that themselves. Guys, this is so real. Our lives, as we live them out day to day in your workplace, you might think you're the only Christian there, but there's chances. There's a couple others at least. But they might be, you know, sitting back, not wanting anybody to know or whatever. But they see you living that out. That encourages them then to follow suit. People in your neighborhood. You find out somebody else in your neighborhood is, is, a, is a Christian and they go to another church. Do not recruit them to come here. Encourage them by your walk in faith to walk boldly in their faith in their church. That, that we would encourage one another. That we would be, and I love this, that sounded forth, the word of God sounded forth from you. It wasn't necessarily audibly. It was visibly living out the word of God. And because of that, people were seeing it. People were encouraged, other Christians. And obviously, as the church continues to grow, reaching out to the, the community in Rome around them, and it went out ripple effects from there. And again, just to come back to the, the cares, compassionately, actively, relationally engaging surprise, that we would be known as a church that loves the Lord Jesus, that radically changes lives, and that we live that in such a way that other believers are encouraged and non-believers are intrigued. They want to know more. I've shared with you on, on a few occasions, one of the things that we can simply do, every one of us can do this. When we go to a restaurant, we can ask our, our waitress or waiter when our, our meal comes, how can we pray for you? Because we're going to pray for our meal together now. How can we pray for you? And as they share those prayer requests, we, believe, we pray for them. We take that seriously. And if you frequent a restaurant, when you go back in, you ask the, the waiter or waitress, so how are things going? We've been praying for you. You have no idea the effect that that has. As a matter of fact, and this is really cool. Somebody shared this with me just recently that they went to a restaurant here locally and, and did that. And when they asked the waitress, can I pray for you? I'm about to pray for my meal. She goes, do you go to Calvary Chapel? <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. As we walk this faith out, guys, the effect is eternal. It's real. One last quote, and we'll move on. This, I couldn't find the source of the quote, but it says, he said, when the effect of the gospel is all important in the church, the force of the gospel is unstoppable in the world. When the effect of the gospel is all important in the church, that's not the building, that's you individually, me individually, we're the church. When the effect of the gospel is all important in the church, the force of the gospel is unstoppable in the world. Paul is so excited, so thankful. He continues verse nine. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayer. For again, for God, again, notice as we go back, my God, this, this, this God that I have this personal, intimate relationship with, whom I serve in my spirit. That word serve is also translated worship in other places in the New Testament. 
whom I serve in my spirit, with, in the very depths of me, with all that I have. Guys, this whole idea of, of serving God in worship is an important one. And we, we underscore that often here, guys. Service is to be an act of worship. As we serve, we, we, we don't limit what we call worship to when we're singing together. Yeah, that, we kind of give it that label. But guys, everything that we do, everything that we do in service should be an act of worship. But also everything that we do should be an act of service. Not just here in the church, but everything that we do should be an act of service. And every act of service is an act of worship. Paul writes, puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Whatever it is that you're doing, it's an act of service towards your Lord. And if it's an act of service towards him, that is an act of worship. That's the, the worship that he, he loves to receive. As we're living our lives out completely for him. Not in our own fleshly efforts, but as he said here, in my spirit, in my very, in the deepest of me. This isn't a, a, a physical thing as much as it is a, a spiritual thing that everything that we're doing is an offering to the Lord. It's not out of obligation. It's out of total adoration, love for my God. A response to all that he has given to me. Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Everything that we do, truth in our spirit with all that we have. Romans, Paul will write this later on in chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your note, spiritual service of worship. Your life laid out, a living sacrifice. Spiritual, it's the only reasonable response. Our spiritual service of worship. Notice he gives a couple of examples, serving God, worshiping him, as he uses the gift that God gave him to preach, to share the gospel. But notice also in his prayers. And I'm challenged again this week in my own personal prayer life when I look at Paul's prayer life. He says, I pray for you continually. You guys are always on my prayer list. I'm lifting up you before the throne of grace. Guys, I think we all should come across and, and take pause at verses like this and be challenged ourselves. How's your prayer life? Are you, are you regularly going before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and not just praying for your own things? God, I need a job. God, I need this, you know, blah, blah, you know. Those are, that's all, not that you don't pray for those things, but notice Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't even touch on that here. Praying for others, praying for one another in the church, and not just those that are going through difficulties and trials. Yes, by all means do that. If you're not a part of our prayer chain and you'd like to get the prayer requests that come in, you can, you can sign up to get that through the, through the website or stop at the connect table. And daily, you can get a list of people that have real needs that we can be praying for as a body. We should be doing that. Every one of us lifting up those personal needs. But guys, not just those who are struggling. 
also for those that are thriving. We need to be praying for each other, all of us, continually. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with, the, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Everyone. Be praying for the body of Christ everywhere. Here, locally, globally. Paul would continue in in Ephesians 6 there, and then he would put in there, and I love this about Paul, and again in his humility, he would say, would you pray for me too? Pray that, that that words would be given to me, that God would give me his words, and that I'd have the boldness to share that so that people would come to faith. Boldness in sharing the gospel. And I, I love that. And I would ask you that you would, that you would pray for, for me and, and for Pastor Brad and, and for our families. Play, pray for Christina and I. And I know so many of you do. And I thank you for that. But please don't stop. Pray for our elders. Pray for our leaders in the church. Our deacons. Ministry leaders. Pray for us. We're, we, we pray for you. That's the amazing thing how this works is we lift up these petitions before, before the Lord and God loves to hear and answer prayer. Paul will, and you flip here real quickly to the end of Romans. As he's signing off this letter and at the end of chapter 15, Romans 15. Verse 30 Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God. Note, for me. (laughs) Please pray for me, Paul says, that I may be rescued from these who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. By the will of God. And we see that same theme as we come back to verse 10. As Paul is speaking of praying, I'm making prayers for you. You're always in my prayers. Notice verse 10, making requests. If perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Notice in both of these instances, Paul is speaking of praying. And yes, we lift our petitions and even specific things. God, would you act and do in this way? Would you heal here? Would you provide here? But ultimately, always, guys, it is, God, your will be done. Whatever it is that is in your will for me, God, that is ultimately all I am concerned with. That is Paul's primary concern, the will of God. The will of God for him, the will of God for the church the will of God for individuals, his primary concern. If you have a King James version, this verse 10 is written this way, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. And I like that translation because if we look by if, if by any means, that's basically saying, God, however you want to do it, it's in your hands. Now at length, whenever you want to do it, Lord, that's in your hands. I might have a prosperous journey. However, whatever that looks like, Lord, by your will. And 
when we look at these words, the word translated prosperous in the King James, succeed in the New American Standard that we're, we're looking at here, prosperous, succeed, that's what the Greek word translated means, successful, prosperous. How do you find, define success? How do you find, define prosperity? If you were going to speak of a successful journey to Rome, how would you define it? I got a couple of words that might define Paul's journey that don't sound very prosperous or successful. How about prisoner? <laughs> how about perilous? Because Paul's going to get to Rome. He's going to make it. But he's, as we saw in, in Acts when we studied, he's going to go as a prisoner in chains. And the journey was hardly a smooth one. The, the storm that they went through, the shipwreck that happened, they're stranded on this island for, for an extended period of time. What welcomes Paul when he first get there is a snake biting him on the hand. I mean, it's just, wow, that, that's, that wasn't in the travel brochure. But knowing again, Paul, when I go back and I look at verse eight again, that, you know, let's do this whole thing. Wash, rinse, repeat. Thank you. Thank you. That, that taste berry. All of a sudden, this, this perilous journey is like, well, hey, it was all expense paid. And it didn't lack for excitement. And I'm here. Guys, the will of God. I've said this before, and it's so important we understand this. There is no safer place to be than in the center of God's will for you. And so many people run from it. So many people are scared to make Jesus Lord of their life, to truly step under that lordship and let whatever he decides and whatever his will is, that my will is completely surrendered to that. Maybe you have people that are close to you that are the same way. I have a couple of people very close and dear to me that say, you know what? I get this whole Jesus thing. I understand it all, but I'm not ready to live that. I'm not ready to surrender my life, submit my life, do all of that type of stuff. And maybe you're in that same boat. Maybe that's you today. You say, I get the whole Jesus thing. I, I'm, I'm good with him dying for my sins, but I'm not ready to live for him. I'm not ready to follow wherever he might lead. You're, you're worried about what that next step is going to be. Elijah, when God told him one step at a time, he, after he went in and told the king, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Then God told him, you go to the brook Cherith, and I'm going to have the ravens provide for you there. And Elijah might have said, hey, wait a second. That's out in the middle of the wilderness. That's out in nowhere. Nobody's going to know I'm there. Nobody's going to, you want me to go out there? God says, I'll take care of you there. And maybe you're here today and you're afraid of that there. That's the problem. I just don't know where there is, and I'm not sure I'm going to like it there. And, and if God calls me to go there, I mean, that's where the problem is. Let me tell you this. That's not where the problem is. That's where the provision is. That's where the protection is. That's where the peace is. If you're looking at that and you're saying, well, that's, that's where the problem is. That's where the difficulties are going to be. You're looking through the eyes of the flesh. You're walking by sight. But if you say, Jesus, wherever you guide me, wherever you lead me, I trust you and I will go. You will find there, again, provision, protection, peace. That's supernatural. 
That's walking by faith. And again, God told Elijah, I'm going to have the birds bring you food every day. That's not normal. That's supernatural. And God did every single day. Just like he said. It's the lie of the enemy that says you don't need, just, you know what, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. You can do that later. You keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be fine. You got plenty of time. Guys, that's the lie of the enemy. I don't know how much time we have left, but every minute that you spend outside of the will of God for you is a life that's miserable. I'm telling you. You can have joy unspeakable. You can have peace that passes understanding, but that only comes when you surrender your life to Jesus and you go where he leads and you, and you look for the provision that he provides. By the will of God. Verse 11, again, he's talking about just, he's, he can't wait to have this possible opportunity to come to Rome. For I long to see you, it says, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Notice Paul isn't desperately wanting to get to Rome to do some sightseeing. It's not on Paul's bucket list to go and see the Colosseum. It's on Paul's bucket list to get there so that he can share the gift that God has given him that he can, he can share this spiritual gift that, that God has given him, this ability to, to take the scriptures and share with them and encourage them and to, to come alongside them and to comfort them and to pray with them and to guide them. He says, I can't wait to get there so that I can do that, so that I can pour into you. We can spend time together, but it doesn't just stop there. Again, I love the humility of Paul. He's not just saying, I can't wait to get there so that I can unload on you guys. You guys can all grow. He's, no, he's also, in his humility, a little selfish when he says, because I want to grow with you. I have something to share with you, but I know you have something to share with me. That's how, this, that's how this whole thing works as we walk this faith life out together. We encourage each other. We share with one another. I share what God lays on my heart or how, I, how he's working in and through my life. You do the same. We're both mutually encouraged in that. We both grow together in our faith in that. I love that here, Paul, the one who you might say, he's got it all together. He's reached that point. He's at the top. He himself said in the letter to the Philippians, which he will write, by the way, from prison in Rome, he will say, I'm still not there. Every day I'm growing. Every day. Calvin has this quote. It says, there is none so void of gifts in the church of Christ. No one in the church, no matter how new you are as a believer, no matter how little you may know of the word of God or anything like that, if you are a born again believer, whether you were born again yesterday or 20 years ago, he says there is none so void of gifts in the church of Christ who cannot in some measure contribute to our spiritual progress doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, whether again, it's 10 minutes 
or 50 years, you have something to offer to the body of Christ. He goes on to say, ill will and pride, however, prevent our deriving such benefit from one another. Ill will, who are you to talk to me? How, I, I, you know, holding so, this type, that type, ill will or pride. Who are you to talk to me? <laughs> I, don't, I can't learn anything, glean anything from you. That is what keeps any of us from growing. Guys, all of us, all of us have something to share with one another. That's why it's so important, and I pray that you don't come to Calvary Chapel Surprise and check it off your list every week because you, you listen to me talk for 45 minutes because that's not church. Church is doing life together. Church is sharing life together. By the way, just in case you were wondering why we built that area out there, yes, it's for baptisms, but it's also for fellowship. That's why we offer so many things all the time and we're constantly making these announcements and letting you know these things that are going on so that you can come together and fellowship and share life together. The author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as, some is, the ha- as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice again, us, all of us. Let's get together and consider how to stimulate one another. I love that word, stimulate. When we went through Hebrews, we studied that word. It's really cool. It means to agitate. It means to irritate. <laughs> Let's get together and, and figure out how we can positively, spiritually irritate each other. <laughs> and I think of that like, like, uh, like uh, um, if, if, you, if you work out with somebody. You're going to do far better working out with somebody else than on your own. Because when you think, you know what, I've had enough. They're like, no, come on, man. Come on, keep going. You can do it. One more. Push it. Doing that together. And I'll tell you what, when you, if, if you're working out and you're doing like the, like the bench press, you think, I can't do one more. He's going, come on, you can do one more. That's irritating. <laughs> but you know what? More times than not, you're able to do one more because of that encouragement encouraging one another. Guys, we're a family. And as we do this thing together, I'll tell you what, one thing right now, every single one of you in this room can be an encourager. Every single one of you. Look to your left real quick. Look to your right. Everybody you just looked at, everybody that just came into your field of view needs encouragement. We will never run out of people to encourage. And guys, we can all do that. Encouraging one another. I love how the author of Hebrews says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That means this keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, let's look at a couple more verses here. Verse 13. I do not want you to be aware, brethren, or unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Again, it wasn't, he, it wasn't just so that we can exchange some gifts and, and encourage one another. He understood the byproduct, what was going to happen. He comes, he shares the gospel, he shares the truth, he shares the word. You share your gifts. We mutually do that. When that happens, guys, fruit happens. It happens naturally. It happens organically. As we simply follow the outline that God gives us as the body of Christ, he knew that. He said, I can't, I, I can't wait to get there. I've been restricted to this point. I want to get there so that we can share, encourage one another, and obtain some fruit among you also. It's interesting when we look at verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and foolish. That word under obligation that's used there, he's, I'm in debt, he says. I am in debt to Greeks and barbarians. Now, when he uses the word barbarian there, it's not like, you know, Conan, the barbarian, or what we might think of as the word barbarian. Literally, that what he's saying there is Greeks and non-Greeks, basically, again, covering the whole gamut of everybody. The wise and the foolish. It doesn't matter what spectrum you might be on in anything. He says, I owe everybody. Paul, if anybody, could say, everybody owes me. (laughs) When you study his life and all that he went through for the furtherance of the gospel and planting all these churches and everything that he suffered, he could have said, you know what? You guys all owe me a whole big, great deal of gratitude. But he says, no, I I owe. I am in debt. Why? Wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) My God. Who, by the way, Paul spent the the first part of the, the history of the Christian church, the first few years, persecuting the church, trying to wipe out the church. And now he's saying, because of the Lord Jesus, the one who I didn't believe in, I was trying to destroy completely, persecuting that church, trying to wipe it out. That Jesus saved me restored my relationship with the Father, my God. And because I was rescued from that, I'm in debt to share that with the rest of the world. I am under obligation until I take my last breath to take that message to the world. He understood the depths that he was rescued from. He understood that all he deserved was hell, eternal wrath of God. But he also understood that Jesus took that penalty for him. Guys, it's not him alone. It's every single one of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve nothing but the wrath of God forever in hell. That's all we deserve. But Jesus went through that, took our punishment upon himself, took the wrath of God fully upon himself so that we could stand before him blameless and righteous and have everlasting life. Guys, understand this. We are all equally guilty. We are all equally deserving punishment. We are all equally lost without the gospel but we are all equally saved because of the gospel. And because of that, 
every single one of us is under obligation. If you had a terminal disease, medical science had no idea how to treat it, but you did something at home and you figured out this thing and all of a sudden you're cured and you know the cure, you'd be under obligation to share that cure with the rest of the world. Guys, that's what it is with us. The only difference is we didn't come up with it. God did. But we know the cure, and we're under obligation to share that. Every one of us, every born-again believer in this room is under obligation to continue and share the gospel, not only in word, but also in our actions, in the way that we live out our, our faith, that it would be observable. But again, guys, we do need to share it. I've heard people say that, you know, uh, share the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. It's necessary to use words in every example. But also, though, that, that living example that we have. And I'm under obligation. I'm under obligation to anyone in this room right now who has never made Jesus Lord of their life. You cannot honestly say, my God. My Lord, I'm under obligation to tell you how you can, because it's not about, it's not about a religion. It's not about a a whole list of things that you have to check off, that you have to do, that you, that you, that you can't do, that all this kind of stuff. It's not about do, do, do. It's about done, done, done. Jesus paid for it already. You see, Jesus stepped off his throne in heaven, became one of us, and lived the perfect sinless life that all of us are required to live, but haven't. He did that and then exchanged that perfect life on the cross for you. He took the wrath of God for you. He exchanged his life for yours, but you have to accept the exchange. That's right now, it's laid out before you. And I'm going to, in a moment, going to ask you to just respond to that. But that's what it is. It's a response. It's an exchange, taking that exchange, making him Lord of your life. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray together. If that is you right now, you just go before God in the, in the quietness of your own heart. This is a transaction between you and your creator. Just go before him, responding to the Holy Spirit in your heart right now. And you just say, God, I, I know that you are talking to me right now. And I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short of your perfect standard, I know my life is not pleasing to you. And I also know I can't fix it. I also know it's not about me doing anything but surrendering now. Jesus, I need a savior. I believe you paid my full sin debt. So right now, I receive that. Come into my life right now. Come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sins. Wash me clean. Give me the gift of eternal life. I understand it's a gift. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. It's a gift, but I receive it now. And Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I trust you 
you, you take control from now on. And right now I call you for the first time, my God. And Lord, we all here today are so thankful that we can call you my God. Through the Lord Jesus. Lord, let our lives be lives that are a living faith. That our actions and our words would reflect this new life in us. Lord, that believers around us would see us and be encouraged and non-believers around us would see us and be intrigued and, and we'd be given the opportunity then to tell them about you. Lord, we trust your will for our lives. By any means you deem necessary, make us more like Jesus. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.